Right on, right on, right on. Live right. Live right. In the real world. Right on radio. Right on radio. Welcome to Right On Radio. My name is Jeff. I hope you're having a great resurrection weekend. I know it's common to say resurrection Sunday. I actually believe the resurrection was on Saturday. I've had quite an amazing journey this week, uh, which I'm going to be sharing with you. And of course, we'll be looking at the scriptures. And I really believe that you're going to be blessed today by this particular chapter that we're reading. But first, I'm just going to play a song that is really dear to my heart, has been for a number of years. In fact, I featured it in a musical that I put together back in 2010. And I think this is a message of Jesus to the entire world. Uh, this is The artist is named Brian Dirksen. He's one of my favorites. And the name of the song is Hope of the Nations. Let's lift up his name together. Sing praise to him, even if you don't know the song. The lyrics are going to be on the screen if you're listening. And if you're not, just have it in your heart. I think the words are very meaningful. Jesus, hope 
Jesus is our hope. He rose from the dead. He is the hope of the nations. And the key is for you to believe. That is how we become the children of God. Heavenly Father, I give you thanks for another beautiful day. I give you thanks for creating this beautiful world, even though it's fall, fallen, Lord. We see your beauty in it. Even the rocks cry out to you. All of creation calls to you. All of creation knows of you. And Jesus, you humbled yourself. You became man. You became what you created. And you lived a perfect life without spot or blemish. You preached. You told about the Father. You told about the wonders of your kingdom and the wonders of salvation. And then you took the stripes for us, Lord, and you laid down your life. But that did not defeat you, Lord. That gave you ultimate victory for us. And there's no other reason you would do it. 
except for us. Jesus, you are worthy of all praise, more than we are humanly capable of. I truly worship you, Lord. And I pray over this particular reading of your word. I pray for the revelation of Christ through it. I pray for your instruction for each one of us. And Father, I pray the Holy Spirit be in our midst, because without the Holy Spirit, there is no way for us to really understand the true meaning of your word. And Father, I request in Jesus' name that the Holy Spirit will speak through me as I read these scriptures, as I read your living word. And Lord, that you would give a message to each one of us today. That we may be in much better fellowship as heirs of the kingdom. And to fulfill your ultimate purpose in us to the greatest measure possible in each of us, that we would become more like the example that Jesus gave us on earth, which is as it is in heaven. Hallelujah, Lord. Glory to your name. Amen. Well, I'm going to give a bit of a personal share here, if I may take the liberty to do so. This week has been extremely challenging for me. I truly believe in my heart that the Lord has put me up or allowed me to be tested this week. And I've been tested in many, many ways. And one of the few times in my life, I believe that I can give a more than satisfactory report, um, just looking at myself, and I'm one of the hardest judges on myself, but as a testimony to Jesus and the change in my life, I believe I did well. And it has not been an easy week. Even last night was uh, quite difficult through the evening. But the power of God cannot be defeated. And on a lighter note, just to prove the power of God, um, those who are in our admin channel know that Val placed a little joke in there. <laughs> and I'm so tempted to use it. I have a great way of presenting this joke, but I just feel it's inappropriate for this weekend as we celebrate the resurrection, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This week, uh, scripturally, it's been kind of like gymnastics, been going all over the place. And I will confess to you that because, you know, it's the weekend that, you know, most of the Christian world celebrates the death and resurrection of Jesus. I 
thought I would stray from the book of John and go to the gospels and, you know, just preach the kind of the standard message that would be given this weekend. And it's, I'm not, the, the word confusion would not be an accurate one, but I did not have rest in it. And I was even thinking, well, certainly Lord, you want me to preach on what happened at the cross and And I, I was even planning on break, introducing communion today, and I would have announced it on Thursday if I had had rest in it. And I want to do communion. It's on my heart to do that with you. And I struggled with this because I really thought it was the right thing to do to go into a message like that. And it was yesterday afternoon, Saturday afternoon, that I finally had rest and the rest that came upon me was simply this. God did not make a mistake when he instructed us to study the book of John and his timing is perfect. And that really came in time because my study yesterday, I studied essentially Genesis 1, um, the book of John, the gospel of John, rather, and I was into Revelation 19. And I really think the Lord pieced these things together for me. And although I'm not going to do the gymnastics and bounce all around, I think you're going to see something today. At least it was a little bit more clear revelation to myself. And so I'm very much looking forward to doing this. And before I read the word, I'll just confess one other thing. One of the ways that I feel I've been tested this week is not only was I wanting to do a standard revelation type message or sorry, a resurrection type message. But I was also struggling with even doing this program. The thoughts have been overwhelming this week, not to do this particular show, take the Sunday off. And I even contrived in my heart excuses and they would have been manufactured excuses. I want to confess to you and why I would not to do it. And even this morning I did wake up with some allergies and I thought, oh, that's it. I can just say I have really bad allergies and no one wants to see someone with a dripping nose and And then I'm justifying, well, no one's going to be here. It's Sunday. It's the one day that they don't attend a virtual church. They'll go to a real church. And then that was just all about me, which is contrary to the gospel. And it was robbing me of the joy that I get when I do this on Sunday, which is the first day of my work week. What a blessed way to begin the week 
and to really pour into the scriptures and to be in fellowship with those I love, which is you, each one of you. I pray for each one of you consistently. Some of you by name, because I know of situations, but I pray over you generally, and God knows each and every one of you. And I pray in faith because of a strong belief in Christ that those prayers are not only heard, but they're answered. So I just want to bless his name as we get into the reading of the word. And just give me one moment as I change some screens around. It's a little bit more difficult streaming live to rumble than it was going to YouTube. And by the way, uh, thank you for those of you who are watching on Facebook as well. I can see the chat a little bit easier on Facebook, but I can now see the chat on uh, Rumble as well. And thank you for being on Rumble as well. Um, it is the primary channel other than Podbean. So this is a fairly short chapter, but it is very rich. And, you know, I, I think Paul is my favorite writer. Uh, Matthew is so detailed uh, in his gospel. But John just has a loving way of putting things forth. And he really understood the heart of Jesus. I think probably in greater capacity than anyone. He just got it. And there aren't, there's no gray areas with John, but he says it in such a loving, simplistic way where, you know, Paul was more fire and brimstone, <laughs> very much so, which I also like. And that's missing a lot today. But this is a really great chapter. And it, as I said before, it's not a mistake that God led us here. And he knew that we would be on this chapter on this day where I can't plan that far ahead. Bless the reading of your word, Lord. See how great a love the Father has given us, that we would be called children of God, and in fact, we are. For this reason, the world does not know us, because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him, 
because we'll, we will see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope set on him purifies himself just as he is pure. Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who remains in him sins continually. And no one who sins continually has seen him or knows him. Little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. No one has been born of God practices sin, because his seed remains in him and he cannot sin continually. Because he has been born of God, by this the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother and his sister. For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we are to love one another. Not as Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother, and for what reason did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil, but his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers and sisters. The one who does not love remains in death. Everyone who hates his brother or sister is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life remaining in him. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for brothers and sisters. But whoever has worldly goods and sees his brother or sister in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God remain in him? Little children, let's not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and in truth. And will our heart 
at ease before him. That if our heart condemns us that God is greater than our heart and he knows all things, beloved, if your heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing in his sight. This is his commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. The one who keeps his commandments remains in him and he in him. We know this, we know by this, that he remains in us by the spirit whom he has given us. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah. <clears throat> so you notice a theme, as I say, I believe it's in every single book of the New Testament, except in Philemon, where it's a warning against false teachers. And these epistles appear to me, at least, to be, all of them, really to be warning against false teachers. They're writing these epistles as corrections because the Gospels were given, but then there needed clarification. There needed, and this is what John is doing. And it, John, when he, whenever he says, you know, children, it's almost like he's writing to the babes in Christ the newer converts, and we'll see as we go on that I believe that will prove to be true. Verse 1, see how great a love the Father has given us, that we would be called children of God, and in fact, we are. We are his children. And I'm, the reason I'm going to say this part, and it sounds very rudimentary to experienced believers, but how do you become a child? And one of the things I'm recognizing more and more as I study the scriptures is the patterns of God. God loves patterns, and he repeats them and repeats them. And the more I recognize these patterns of God in his word, the more simplistic his message becomes to us. So if God patterns things for us, and then we are to live as Jesus, because God's goal is that we would follow Jesus' example to the best of our ability. So he patterns things not only in heaven, but on earth. And on earth, how do you become a child? Well, obviously, there's conception, 
and then live birth. When you give birth, you have a child, you have a child. And your child is now part of your family. But there's also adoption. And I've heard many people say over the years that we're adopted. I don't find that consistent with the scriptures. Because the way we become sons and daughters of the Most High God, the way we enter the family, is to be born again. And that cannot be done of the flesh. When Jesus was talking to Nicodemus, you know, Nicodemus, how can one enter the womb again? It's not physical. It's in the spirit that we are born again. And when we are born again, we not only become sons and daughters, but we are heirs in Christ. We inherit the kingdom of God. And we just do not have words to describe it. In fact, there's not a lot on the kingdom of God. There's not a lot of description of it. We see some of it, and it's very ethereal. It's very uh, painted pictures, analogies. It's because we don't have words to describe the things in the spirit. But the one thing that I have ascertained, particularly through my journey studying stewardship, is that we will be working. We are not going to be standing on a cloud, a cloud sharing our testimonies ad nauseum for, for all of eternity, because that would be almost like a hell. We love to hear testimonies, but hearing testimonies for eternity? Eh, probably not. Let's go and do something, right? Um, so we are children of God, and for this reason, the world does not know us. We are different because it did not know him and does not know him. You'll see at the end why we're despised. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet appeared as yet what we will be. So we don't know for sure. We do know when Jesus appeared in the room uh, after being resurrected in the upper room that he was flesh and blood. But he was transformed. He was eternal. His flesh and blood would no longer decay. But to, to this day, and I think purposely, because God could change it if he wanted to, when we get there, we're going to see the holes in his wrists or his hands. We are going to see those scars. But yet we will be transformed into 
our new eternal bodies. But we don't yet know exactly what that's like. Hallelujah. But he continues, We know that when he appears, we will be like him, because we will see him just as he is. Now, the really, we have the upper room testimonies of how he is. But then we have John's writing in Revelation of how he really is. The Jesus that's in the book of Revelation, man could not stand in his presence. I am convinced of this. The glory is too great. And we just have to look at the example of Moses, where Moses could only see him trailing off. And even Moses's face was baked because of it. Folks, this is going to be so good. <laughs> I just got to tell you, it's going to be so good. This is worth the fight. This is worth the persecution on earth. Oh, it's so worth it. Even from these little clues. You know, I think if God spilled it all out and said, hey, actually, you're going to be 600 feet tall and, you know, you're going to be this mighty person and, you know, you'll be able to go to other planets and you'll be able to, like, who knows, right? If God had detailed all that stuff, then it really wouldn't be as much of a free will choice. That would be more bribery, almost. God wants us to love him for who he is in our limited capacity. And everyone who has this hope set on him purifies himself just as he is pure. And how do we do that? John doesn't leave things unanswered here. <laughs> and, and I want you to know, uh, just ahead of time, because a couple of these scriptures sound pretty tough. Uh, John is very loving in the way he writes. And this is not condemnation. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. But there is a bit of a test in this. Verse 4. Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness. And sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who remains in him sins continually, and no one who sins continually has seen him or knows him. What I reading between the lines here, first of all, you're not perfect. Jesus gave the perfect standard, and we have already fallen short. There's no way 
either of us are going to achieve what Jesus did. There's no way. Just, we live in this world. Jesus was not from this world. Jesus had all this knowledge. Jesus is God. But I love that John puts in the word practices lawlessness. To practice his to continually do it to almost perfect it, right? Practice makes perfect, so the world says. And although we have sin in our life, we don't practice it. We don't do it to become better at it. We do it because we're fallen, but we do it less and less because the spirit in us convicts us. When when we sin, there should be like a war going in, on inside of you. If there isn't, let's go back to step one and get you saved. I'm just going to be blunt. Now, telling a little white lie, yeah, you probably have conviction. Probably not as great as if you did something with greater consequence. But no one who remains in him sins continually. And this is what Jesus' message is to us. He died for our sins. If we are to practice sin, we are not of him. Can you imagine, just as a worldly example, let's say you have a son or a daughter, and they're massively in debt, massively in debt. And as we know, debt is like death. It really is. But you, as a loving parent, said, I'm going to rescue you. Out of my abundance, I'm going to pay your debt. Don't run up that credit card any longer. And then, if a child does not heed that advice and goes on and says, oh, I got a fresh start. Now I can go even more wild. I've got all this credit again. It's all paid. Well, as a parent, how would you react? Would you cut them off? Probably. Probably be the right thing to do. And God is ultimately justified in what God does. Verse 7, right after that, the sin continually, I think it was said for this purpose. Verse 7, little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he, referring to Jesus, is righteous. 
The one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. I just think of these false teachers again. Make sure no one deceives you. There are so many false teachers these days that act like they're living great lives. But when you really take a close look, they're not. They're purposefully deceiving. And we've covered a number of them already. These are very dangerous men and women. Very dangerous. I don't know their hearts. Maybe they want to serve the devil. Maybe they're serving mammon. I don't know. We need to pray for these people. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. And he did. It is finished. No one who has been born of God practices sin. I want you to listen to this. Because his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin continually continually, because he has been born of God. Here's a bit of a revelation that I got between yesterday and this morning. the word seed. Now, I remember even back about a year ago, we were debating on the scriptures. And it's healthy to debate the scriptures. None of us have full understanding. The depths of God are so deep. But I was reading in Genesis again and reading about the seed. And Adam being the direct seed of God, Adam had the incorruptible seed. But then the dragon appeared, the serpent. I think he was a dragon. Appeared. And there are many, and I kind of bought into this for a little while. I think it's wrong now. And I think it's even really simple, but there's some people that say that the, you know, the Cain was of the serpent seed, like somehow, uh, kind of like in Genesis six, how, you know, the fallen angels, uh, were taken with the woman and then Abel was of, uh, Adam's seed. And it kind of makes sense when you look at it through the way that uh, the bloodlines work and stuff like that. But I, I've come to somewhat of a conclusion, and I say somewhat because I don't know all the answers. I'm still learning. I'm learning right before your eyes. But I think that's more of an occultic 
way of looking at it. And I think it's really the way that the occult practitioners look at it. And what the revelation I really got today, and it was from this, um, let me just read it again. No one has been born of God practices sin continually because he has been born of God. Oh, sorry. Pract no one who has been born of God practices sin because his, God's seed, remains in him. So Adam was made of God's incorruptible seed. He breathed it in him. It's the conception. And I know Adam came out of the dirt, but he breathed that life into him, and Adam was perfect. And then God made Eve out of man. So her seed was out of man's seed. Now, it was good because it was out of Adam. When the serpent came, notice he went to Eve. For, he didn't go to Adam. He went to Eve. He went to Eve, who was made out of man. Now, get this. He did not have relations with her. The Bible, I believe, would have been very clear on that, as it is in Genesis 6. Instead, by her choosing of her own will to sin, the seed in her became corrupted. Now, it is for this purpose that Jesus came, and it's for this purpose that we must be born again, because when we are born again, the seed, which is that spark of life that is in us, is transformed back to that of God's perfect creation of Adam. He took what's corrupted and makes it perfect in us. His seed, his resurrection seed. And, you know, they, they, conception is such a miracle and there's such power in conception. When you think about it, when, when the sperm meets the, the ovum, and they connect. There's a, it's like an explosion of life. God's power goes right into that seed and gives life. How much more powerful is it when he gives life again on your free will that you believe in the life death, and resurrection of God Almighty.
tell me what you think. Um, I hope I'm right on that. It sounded good. I really made sense in my head because I've been struggling trying to trying to understand all this stuff. But more reasons to stay away from learning occultic stuff. We want to know the plans of the enemy. We don't necessarily need to know all that he does. Just so we're prepared and we are not deceived. That's the extent that I'm seeing at this point in time. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God. So we need to practice righteousness. Instead of practicing sin, we're going to sin. But when we practice righteousness, again, practice becomes closer to perfect. We are to practice righteousness. And then he says this, and it's very interesting. <clears throat> it does, it, it, who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother and his sister. If you do not love your brother and your sister, it's saying you're not of God. Now, what does it mean to love your brother and sister? Well, it goes on to give us an example. But listen, just because you are called to love everyone and love your neighbor, you can still hate the sin in them. You just have to love them. I think that's just a really simple way to put it. Verse 11, for this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we are to love one another, not as Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And for what reason did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil, but his brothers were righteous. How many scriptures are there that says, if the world loves you, you're not of God. And if we get along with the world quite well, because maybe we have a sense of diplomacy, you're not doing very well as a Christian. Because someone who is a bad sinner should feel because they know it's sin, even if they don't know God, they know what's right and wrong. Most people, I think even the most vile people know what they do is wrong, but some of them get a thrill out of it for somehow because they're of the devil. <laughs> That's how, but if your light is truly shining then there will be conviction on those. You don't have to say a thing. You're not the judge. You can hate their sin, but you called to love them. But you can just stand there in righteousness and in love 
and they'll hate you. Hallelujah. <laughs> That's knowing God is in you. That's why he died. Do not be surprised, brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers and the sisters. The one who does not love remains in death. Everyone who hates his brother or sister is a murderer. Oh! John's putting a couple commandments together. That's like a double whammy in one verse. <laughs> and you know that no murderer has eternal life remaining in him. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for brothers and sisters. Here's one of those interesting parallels in scriptures once again. Remember when we were in Ephesians and we were talking about the role of marriage not too long ago. And the man is supposed to be the head of the household. The woman is supposed to serve the man in love. And the man is called to have sacrificial love for his wife, that he ought to lay down his life for her. And, you know, some people would immediately, when they think of those, think, well, man has the upper hand or whatever. But then when you read that, it's like, whoa. Man's hold to a little bit higher account than woman is. But here, we learn that women don't get off scot-free. You ought to lay down your life for others around you. We don't know how would we would react if we are in a particular situation. We all hope that we would do the right thing. And, you know, I, I certainly could confess, I, I know that I would for like my daughter, my nieces, my sister, you know, the ones that I really, really love. But would I for my father who's lived a full life and, you know, he's in his final years. Well, I think the Bible's telling me I should. I don't know if I would. And let me just ask a question. Would you lay down your life for me? Would I for you? I'd like to think that the Lord will supernaturally give us strength if we're ever tested in that way. Verse 17. But whoever has worldly goods 
has worldly provision and sees his brother or sister in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God remain in him? You know, we're not often tested with actually laying down our lives. Thank God, right? But you know, probably the greatest test that we face in this world, particularly for some of us, it's with your wallet. But I worked so hard, that person's been a bum all their life. Doesn't matter. Now, I want to say this with some caution. There's a lot of scammers out there that are professional bums. I don't think you should encourage those people. And they make probably more money than you do. But when you see a true need, if you have provision, God is telling you that if you do not do this, you do not love them. Therefore, if you do not love them, you're a murderer. And God is not within you. Boy, that's going to take a lot of practice of righteousness, right? That is going to take practicing righteousness. But it is so true when it comes to our wallets. You cannot serve both mammon and God. God's kingdom is sowing and reaping. Where do you sow? See a need, go to the need. Very simple. Little children, let's not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and in truth. So in other words, oh, I love everybody. Oh, yeah. You know, the Jesus movement of the 70s, just love, love, love. Hey, man, can you give me gas money? Uh, dude, I'm short this week. <laughs> God, John's saying that you, that you don't have love in you, and you're a murderer. Two commandments. Am I reading this wrong? Okay, I should check in chat to see if I'm being corrected. Shahid and Shahid is someone who will correct me. Uh, he says, no matter how much money you have, you cannot take it with you into heaven, but you can use it to bless others here on earth and store up treasures for yourself in heaven. Hallelujah, brother. Um, we do have a heavenly bank account. And uh, it's always good to put deposits in there. So we can't just do it with word. We have to do it in deed. Oh, this is chapter is so good. 
This is not condemnation. This is God's instruction. God telling you, this is how to live a life of joy. What are the fruits of the Spirit? The more you abide in him, the more he abides in you. This is not correction. This is a loving father's instruction to you. We know we will, uh, sorry, we will know by this we are of the truth and we will set our heart at ease before him. That if our heart condemns us, that God is greater than our heart and he knows all things. So there should be that eternal battle going on. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God and whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing in his sight. So when you give in any way, it could be of your time, could be financially, but just remember you want to give in secret. And I'm not saying secret from your husband or wife. You guys should make those decisions together. But you don't want to be like the Pharisee when Jesus said you received your reward already because they were doing it on the corner so everyone could see how righteous they were. You're doing it. You're doing all things for an audience of one. That's it. Doesn't matter what the world thinks of you. In fact, the scriptures here are telling us if the world likes you, you're not doing it right. But do it before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments. So in other words, God pays for what he orders. Hallelujah. This is his commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. The one who keeps his commandments remains in him and he remains in us, in him. We know by this that he remains in us by the spirit whom he has given us. Not only did God send Jesus, but when you think of art of war, you know, Jesus got the victory, okay? He got the victory at the cross. But think of this as a battle scenario. Let's say you've got your main battle force here against the enemy's battle force, and your main battle force runs over that entire battle force. So you've got victory, but, you know, maybe in, in a physical battle you took some losses or whatever. God has a whole army over here which sent in as a flank to overwhelm 
the enemy, to overwhelm the enemy. It wasn't just the victory at the cross. Then he sent the Holy Spirit to live in us, to overwhelm the enemy and to give us everything we need to live a righteous life in him and to serve his kingdom because when we become born again, we hand over the rights to our life to him and we say, we trust in you enough, God, that I will keep your commandments and I will lay down my life for my brothers and sisters of this world. Lord, I just pray you make this chapter, these words, your message is consistent. Your patterns in the Bible are consistent. There is no contradiction in your word. Your word is perfect. Your will for us is perfect. We have trouble even perceiving how perfect your will is because it's beyond our understanding. But we believe you at your word because your word is alive. It is true. It spoke all of creation. And your word rescued us and brought us back to be sons and daughters and heirs in the kingdom. And when you do return, Jesus, we will see the full revelation of you, Lord. And Lord, I think when you're returning on that cloud, just the way you went is the way you're coming back, Lord. But this time, it's not just 120 people that are going to see you in an upper room. The entire world will see you. The one who holds stars in his hands. Lord, you are bigger than we can ever know. But on that day, we will know you. And we say, hallelujah, Lord, come soon. At the same time, we pray for more years, Lord. We want more people in this world to know you. We beg of you that you we bring more and more people into your kingdom, Lord, that you'll use us, that you'll expand our tent here. Even, Lord, we are your willing servants. But, Father, again, we do say come soon. And that's perhaps even out of selfishness, Lord. But I want to see you. I want to be with you. I want to banquet with you. We want to celebrate with you. What a banquet that will be. As the world or a part of the world remembers you on this day, Lord, I pray that more of your body will become like the Bereans and not trust in any man, lest man will deceive us, but to compare all things 
with your word. And Lord, I pray even that into my own life. Lord, that I'll be even more diligent and more understanding and press into you in a greater capacity. And Lord, by doing that, you'll allow me to serve in even a greater measure. And I'm sure that everyone here in this community is praying that same prayer. Let your fire be in us, Lord, that we would shine so brightly. The world will know us just by you being in us. Hallelujah, Father. Well, I want to say thank you to everyone who's been here with me on this uh, this day. And I'm so glad the enemy didn't talk me out of being in fellowship with you today. And one day, hopefully even this summer, many of us will get together in person. And it's not like it's an overwhelming privilege to meet me. I'm, I'll disappoint you. I probably can guarantee that. But it won't be disappointing to be in fellowship together. And I pray that uh, that day comes soon. Man, I want to give so many of you hugs. I really do. And if you're not a hugger, you better run fast. Because I'm going to love on you. Hallelujah. Well, God bless you. Uh, listen, on Tuesday, got a really important show coming up. Uh, I'm going to have Chris Sky on. Uh, he's an explosive guest. Most of you know that he is running for mayor of Toronto. And I want you to know how important it is, even for those of you in the United States and other countries around the world. This is not about Toronto. You're going to see that. Um, so make sure you share out the interview that's going to come and get people ready. It's going to be explosive. I'm telling you that. Uh, he's just that kind of guy. And I am got to know him personally. I've uh, been meeting with him a few times. I was down there at City Hall when he registered for his nomination. Um, he got arrested again this week uh, just because they're sick. They're trying to do everything they can to get him from not running. Uh, he was not guilty. He's already beat 60 charges. Nothing sticks to him because he's not breaking any laws. But they're just sending goon police officers after him with falsified charges. Um, it's only going to empower him. It's it, He's like the Canadian Trump at this point. Everything they throw at him makes him stronger. Uh, and I really mean that. He's like the Canadian Trump. Uh, probably the biggest voice in the nation right now in the freedom movement anyways. And, uh, and then Thursday, I'm going to have a show that I feel uh, should be highly anticipated. You're going to get a lot of truths uh, on Thursday. And I'm going to give you an example and correction. By the way, Cisco Wheeler should be joining me for Thursday. Um, we've talked about it. She said she'd be on this particular show. Pray that she will be. Um, because I'm going to show you one of the most popular um, 
prophets, preachers than it has been in modern time actually doing witchcraft and those who fall into it and I'm going to detail it I'm, and I'm going to point out something that I don't think anyone else has been pointing out about the danger that these people are putting you good brother and sister in you're actually being set up and this is going to be and you're going to see a much bigger picture from this I pray and you're going to be able to detect these practices because man they look good but I really believe that a good percentage of you will have your eyes opened on Thursday. I'm not trying to hype a show. I've been researching this for months. I'm not pretending to have all of the answers, but I think I'm right on this. Well, boy, what a long ending. I apologize, folks. Be a blessing to someone today and always put your God first. But just as he commands us, you need to love your God, love your family. I always throw that in, you know, because love your neighbor is kind of covered in that, but you are called to love your mother and father. But sometimes even your extended family, they can be hard to love. Let's face it, you get to choose your friends. A lot of time you don't get to choose your family. But love your God and love your family. You're commanded to love your neighbor as yourself. And you need to do the deeds as well, just as we learned in this chapter. So go and make a difference right where you're at in your community.